Hello and welcome to Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary. This is your pure gold commentary podcast. And as the name suggests, this is a commentary. It's not a study guide. So grab your study guide if you're not driving or running while listening to us. My name is Morgan Vincent, and in this week's episode, we have Lindell Peterson, and we're going to be discussing the topic of the birdcage. And some of you may find that a little bit interesting and wondering what on earth are we talking about birds for? But there's a very good reason, and we're going to get to that in in due course. But Lindell, welcome, and thank you for joining us today on this discussion. Thank you, Morgan, and thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be chatting about the lesson today. Yeah, no, that's great. Look, Lindell, maybe for those who may or may not know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. I'm currently working at the Australian Union Conference of our church in Melbourne. I've been pastoring before that for over 10 years. I think now I was working in Greater Sydney. At the moment, though, I look after the Sabbath school and stewardship departments for the union and also work in the ministerial association supporting pastors across Australia. No, that's awesome. So this is very much in kind of your your niche area. So we're going to jump straight into the discussion today and give an overview of the birdcage. And, and this is the third lesson within what we've been looking at of the series being in the crucible with Christ. And we've had some really good discussions so far. And I guess today it very much centers around the experience of the children of Israel, especially after their exodus and their deliverance from Egypt. And I guess the lesson brings out the importance of how at times a bird, the illustration of a bird, they can be in the dark and they cannot see outside of the cage. There might be a covering over that bird cage and they can't see out. And sometimes in our lives, we can have these experiences where we can't see a way out. We can't see maybe around the corner or we can't see what's coming next or even an hour or a day from now. But something through this is we can learn from it. And this has been one of the big themes so far is that when we go through these crucibles and these times in life that aren't pleasant, that aren't comfortable, rather than asking the question of God, why is this happening to me? perhaps asking the question, God, what are you teaching me through this? And I guess this brings us to our first point is that when they were freed, you know, the children of Israel were freed from Egypt. It was an incredible time of celebration and they had been freed from Egypt, their oppressors, they were now able to worship God. And yet we find that that they pretty quickly forgot God's leading. They pretty quickly forgot his powerful work in delivering them from Egypt. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we can see God move in these powerful ways and sometimes then we can almost forget. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I remember reading these stories a lot as a kid in like children's Sabbath school or the My Bible Friends book. And we always used to almost make fun of the Israelites for their grumblings, like their when we get to the point where they're wandering through the wilderness so we go you know do they not just get it god is going to take care of them but it wasn't until i got a lot older that hindsight is such a wonderful thing because we know we can see the broader picture of what happens to the israelite people but i guess for them in the moment remembering that they've been in this extensive period of captivity where they've been enslaved I guess I can understand why they would feel a little bit resigned to the fact of, is anything going to happen for us? Are we going to be delivered from Mm. this Egyptian slavery? But then in contrast to that, you've got the miracles that God does through Moses to reveal not only to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh that God is the one true God, 
But you would have thought that the Israelites would have seen this and their faith would be affirmed. But then we find when they get to the Red Sea, it's this sense of hopelessness again. And I guess from an outsider's perspective looking in, you wonder, well, did you not learn anything from the miraculous kind of way that you came out of captivity? Yeah, I guess for us on the outside looking in, it seems a little crazy. But I guess God has a plan throughout all this. In, in spite of their captivity, his, the miracles that he did revealed to them that God actually was in control, that he was going to deliver them. Hmm. And then as they approach the Red Sea, and I think the scripture says that they start to panic because yep. they see the Egyptians coming and they cry out to Moses and say, why did you bring us out here to die? What are you doing? But I love what Moses says in response to that. He says, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today, which I suppose begs the question without this sort of fear, without their uncertainty, without the challenges that they'd seen throughout Egypt, would God's power have been revealed in a similar way? And so I guess while the circumstances are really challenging and difficult, they're also this incredible opportunity for God to display his faithfulness to them and his power and what he can do for them. It's true. And I like the point you mentioned of how stand still and see, see the salvation of God, see what God's about to do. And that keeps coming up throughout, particularly the first five books of the Bible. It's always the battle's not yours, it's God. And mm. I think as well, that's really important for us to remember is that, yeah, the situations we find ourselves in, the quote-unquote battles, if you will, that, that we see or the enemies, quote-unquote, that come our way to remember that it's the same God who is with us through that. And they still had, they had the evidences of God with them every day through the cloud and every night through the fire. God was visibly showing to them his presence and his leading and his guiding and protection. Yeah, as, as well with that. And yeah, they, yeah, the children of Israel, sometimes I've fallen into the trap of being pretty hard on them of like, man, they just got it wrong more often than they mm. got it right. But yet, would I have been any different if I was in their situation? Like, probably not. My, my general tendency is when hardships come is to complain and whinge. And, and then when I ask people around me, do you think I'm like, I complain a lot? They're like, and they say it kindly, but they're like, you kind of do. The and I'm like, comes out. Oh. so I'm not really that different at all. And, and I guess... Yeah, with that, it's important to drawing back to our first lesson of the shepherd and that, that metaphor and imagery of a shepherd. The shepherd was with his sheep or with, and God is with his people throughout any and every life circumstance that comes our way. And so I think it shows the importance of being vigilant and being always aware mm. of God's presence so that when in the good times, yeah, we can sense and know that, but then it's going to it's going to better prepare us for when those times come. I was just going to say, I think this is the human tendency, though, is that suffering or difficulty or trial or challenge, it's very easy for us to become singular focused. Mm. And that becomes something that clouds our entire experience because we become so focused on what we're lacking or what we're missing that as you mentioned, regardless of regardless of the pillar of fire at night and the cloud during the day, the Israelites still managed to to focus on whether it be their lack of water or their hunger or their anything else that was going on as they journeyed. But I think this just reveals a little bit about our human nature. What I think is beautiful, though, is that regardless of that, God still provided for them. And regardless of their behavior, essentially, God was still faithful. And look, we don't look at the Israelites for an example of how we should handle 
challenges or difficulty, but we do look at the story and see how God handles challenges and difficulty, how God's glory is shown throughout that, regardless of whether we can be so centrally focused on the challenges that we're facing instead of zooming out and seeing the bigger picture of what God is trying to work within the broader scope of our story. Mm, I like that kind of, yeah, shifting the focus away from our human-centered approach, but rather what's God doing in all of this as well. And I think about their story and their journey through, there were times where they were crying out for water and God gave it and food and then they gave it. And then even though God, the amazing thing for me is the manna. And I guess just to focus on that for a little bit, God has said, look, every morning there's going to be manna for you. And on the sixth day, collect double And so every day there was this manna that was given to them and it was what they needed. God was providing it for them. And yet through, they were still thinking, oh yeah, the food we had back in Egypt was better. It was more, (laughs) you know, it was more delicious. And yet it's a strange thing of how they, it's almost as as though they got complacent in the wilderness thinking, oh, this is like our permanent place. It's as though they were forgetting the bigger narrative of, look, God had promised not to free us from Egypt to be in the wilderness, but rather to free us from Egypt to be in the promised land, you know, yeah. where then they would they would have land and they would plant and grow crops and, and all these. So it was within this kind of this transition stage in their history. Yeah, they got, they thought it was permanent, if that makes sense. And mm. I think sometimes it's important for us to remember that too, that the experiences, the suffering, the difficulties that we go through, it's and Paul references this, it's just for a short moment. It's just for a short yeah. while. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting point that we can see as well from, from Yeah, absolutely. From I mean, how often do we forget that the purpose of their journey was the promised land? And I think if you look at the Israelite journey as a whole, if we kind of zoom out and see the bigger picture, it's just a beautiful metaphor. I mean, it's obviously a real story, but I'm saying if we look at the bigger picture, we get this beautiful metaphor for the kind of salvation experience. So God draws them out of Egypt. He calls them out of the world and he brings them to, they experience that salvation. And then this process through the wilderness is almost a metaphor for discipleship. Mm. It's, it's this, the growing of who they are as a community, the growing of who they are as individuals, but also as a community of faith and how they understand and relate to their God. And, and then obviously not forgetting that their ultimate journey is the promised land in the same way that as we journey through discipleship, it's not really just about our experience on this earth, but the experience that we look forward to in heaven. And even beyond that, as they journey, they're called to be a light to other nations as well. So it's really interesting how that can sort of parallel our modern day individual experience of God growing us through various challenges. And there are times, I think, in our own discipleship, as you mentioned with the manor, where we look at maybe our past life and we go, oh, well, as they said, there was meat and and plenty of water in Egypt and bread. We ate every night. Can't we just go back there? And I think that draws on the human tendency to want to return to the experiences that are familiar or are from from a past experience pre-God. But he's calling us to something more, to something better. And each instance where he is teaching or training the Israelite people, it's an opportunity for them to see, okay, so God is the real deal. There is something beyond Egypt. There is something better. And it's there, it's the developing and growing in their relationship with God. And they don't get it right <laughs> for most of the time, but God is still faithful. There was a really beautiful quote by C.S. Lewis who talks about this kind of thing. And I'm lost for the where the book reference, but it says, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who did it. So he's talking Hmm. about this idea of wrestling with grief. 
and that sort of thing. And the idea that God actually isn't doing it for me to prove anything, to find out the quality of my level of faith. He knows that. He knows everything. But rather it's proving to myself or it's revealing to myself the quality of faith and love that I have in God. And I think this is the journey that the Israelites are on. They need to come to a place where they believing in and loving God. And it's not about God testing or trying to get them to prove that they're faithful to him, but they need to know it. They need to internalize it. They need to see it. It's that process of discipleship. And I think we see this on a really big scale for the people of Israel. It reminds me too of how God God speaks of how he didn't lead them perhaps the shortest way or mm. perhaps the most comfortable way, but he led them in the way that was actually for their best and for their safety. Mm. God knew the different nations along the way. And, and what I love about the, like the situation and story with the fiery serpents is that God, like he's been withholding these fiery serpents from them and like he's led them on a path that where that wouldn't be their reality and it's only towards the end of their time in the wilderness that they experience and encounter these fiery serpents but like god all the way along and and i guess this is the point that he leads us where he knows is best and it's the same god who who led them out of egypt and who led them also through the wilderness into the promised land and so it's i guess that that and this comes up in Hebrews as well. Like it's God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it's I guess I'm saying like his character doesn't change in that yeah. his same motive for freeing them from Egypt was his same motive in yeah, there were difficulties throughout their time in the wilderness, but he was still leading them on the best possible way for their ultimate good mm. as well. Let's just transition now because we and I loved how you brought this notion up of discipleship. When we look at Jesus, he his life in, in, in many ways parallels the experience that the children of Israel had. He was baptized. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, not 40 years. And it's, there's this really liberating truth and reality that Jesus succeeds where Israel fails. And I guess that's, that really gives all of us, I believe, a lot of comfort and encouragement to know that Jesus, he, yeah, he does for us what we could never do for ourselves. The the lesson is the birdcage, like the those birdcage moments we have in life where we can't see what's next. We can't see what's coming beyond. We can know and we can take heart that Jesus has, he's walked a path, he's lived a life that is far more intense with suffering and crucibles than we ever would. And he, yeah, he's our champion in that story. He's the one who was victorious. Yeah, where we weren't as as humans as well. So I just want to just briefly read just a couple of verses on that in Luke's account of the Gospels. And um, it's in Luke chapter 4, and I'll read from verses 12 and 13. And the Bible says this, And Jesus answered and he said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And so I guess the point of why I bring this up is that Jesus, he overcame with things like appetites and these very human experiences and it's like oh Mm. actually that's not too dissimilar to what the children of israel experienced which is i don't know like what how does that resonate with you i guess it's the water it's the bread it's the same kind of things and you're right where the children of israel well failed essentially because of their response jesus is this perfect example of overcoming temptation and it gives us a lot of hope because he does that on our behalf. I guess the really interesting thing for me about those particular verses you've read is that so many times I've sort of looked at this story and thought, 
you know, that's the temptation done. We even call it the temptation and checkbox. Jesus was tempted in every way. Check that box kind of thing. But I only just noticed when you're reading now that in verse 13, he left him until the next opportunity came. That wasn't the end. It reads of temptation. We knew that it was going to get more and more difficult for Jesus. And so it's not a matter of that's my trial. I just tick the box. But this gives the impression of and speaks to this idea of trials as something that we will be an ongoing challenge that we face because the devil's work is always to try and sever the connection any way possible between us and God. And that's what he's trying to do with Jesus as well, to, to lead him astray. But I guess if you bring it right back to the very beginning of that chapter, the thing that kind of stands out to me here is that Jesus being led into the wilderness, you know, obviously started with his baptism, but my version in Luke 4 in, in verse 1 says he was full of the Holy Spirit. And to me, it, that really gives counsel into our lives as to when we face challenges and temptation and difficulties. And again, maybe we should clarify here the difference between testing and temptation. You know, the devil tempts us. It's not a testing. It's a real temptation to sin. God would never do that sort mm. of thing. But Jesus faces this temptation full of the Holy Spirit. And for me, this is saying that if Jesus needed to be full of the Holy Spirit to, to face it, how much more do we need to be full of the Holy Spirit to face any sort of challenges that we face. And so I guess that was just a really interesting thing that I saw in these passages, that it's going to be this ongoing thing and that part of overcoming, yeah, we can learn from Jesus' personal example of using quoting scripture and facing that temptation with the word of God. But beyond that, it's a challenge for us to be full of the Holy Spirit, to keep that close connection with God and to recognize that it's not a once kind of done thing, that this is an ongoing challenge that we'll face. The devil will try all sorts of things to draw us away from God. Yeah. And it wasn't for the children of Israel. It wasn't just the one time when they'd been freed from Egypt and then, oh, there's the sea in front of us, but the the Egyptians are coming. Like that was one Mm. time, but then there were obviously many from that. And I, I love the distinction you made between like God testing us as opposed to Satan tempting us. Uh, Mm. And I think that that's a really, really key distinction. There's one of my favorite verses that comes to mind, and it's what Paul says in context of the resurrection of Jesus. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I guess it's a wonderful gift. It goes without Mm. saying, but I think to remember that, the, the freedom and the victory that we will find from the experiences that we have and that we go through, like it's what God does for us. He's with us through those moments, but then gives us the the victory on the other side of those trials as well. And let's touch now as well that another point that came out in the lesson is this idea of rejoicing in our trials. And mm. that might seem an oxymoron for some <laughs> to think rejoicing in trials. When this might be putting you on the spot here, do you find it easy then to rejoice in trials? No, I agree with you. <laughs> I think it is a, a bit of an oxymoron. But I think, well, I guess the challenge is for everyone, trials are so subjective. What's difficult for me, for you, maybe a walk in the park. What's a real struggle or challenge for you? For me, I might go, what? How is that even difficult? And so this idea of rejoicing in trials, I think it goes a little bit deeper beyond just that. Like I said, we get this kind of central focus in and of the trial itself. I guess if I can think of it this way, the best analogy I can think of is when my kids, when my kids were really little and one of them was just learning to walk. Actually, our first child was just learning to walk. And as a first time parent, you're incredibly protective. And every time they fall, you really just 
want to stop them from falling. You really just want to mm. stop them from having to cry or get hurt or upset. But it, I think it was my mum who was visiting at the time was saying, you can't just keep stopping them every time she falls because she won't actually learn how to walk. She needs to fall. She needs to have that experience. And it may be painful. She'll end up with bruises and bumps. But it's okay. It's a part of life. She needs to be able to build those muscles of getting herself back up and being able to walk again. So I guess from that perspective, looking as a parent to a child, I know that the challenge is actually what's best for her in the long run. But for the child, it's actually awful. <laughs> mm. Do you know what I mean? It's not an enjoyable experience. There will be tears. There are challenges. There are struggles. It is a struggle to learn to walk. And so I guess when we're talking about rejoicing in trials, I think it's taking kind of a God perspective on it. What work is God? And I know it's really difficult because in the midst of something awful going on, it's really hard to get perspective. But if we can move outside of it and go, what is what work is God trying to do in me here? Is he trying to get me to walk? Is he, like the example of a kid, Is he, what work is he trying to get me to do here? What growth is going to result? And yeah, and the challenge though is that often comes in hindsight. It often mm. comes outside of. So how do we, amidst the trial, remain faithful. And I think jumping back to Jesus' example, it's proclaiming truth in scripture. He was really just proclaiming the truth of who God is, the truth of scripture. And that's a kind of a, a fortifying effect that it has within us, regardless of what's going on. If we continue to consistently proclaim the truth about who God is, it reminds us that God actually is above all. He's still on the throne. He's in control. He knows what's going on. And that in the broader scheme of things, maybe we will be able to rejoice. That's the picture that I get when we talk about that. But I think First Peter, those verses are looking at, yeah, how it builds and develops our relationship with Jesus. It shows the genuineness of faith that we have. And I think that, as you mentioned, from your journey with motherhood, I think that it's a really, I would say, almost perfect illustration and kind of connection to what it actually does mean to rejoice in trials, because it's seeing yeah, the long game. It's seeing that actually it says here that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, it may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so yeah. it is so that Christ can be glorified and that it's for our ultimate good. When I came to this realization, I actually thought, wow, like God is so much more beautiful and believable. The fact that he would not send these trials but that he would permit them and allow them because it's like well hang on a minute god obviously sees something that i don't and he's actually wanting to refine something in me and shape something in me and with this illustration of a bird in a bird cage like he would want me the other side of that experience to praise him and honor him and glorify him and keep following him. And so it's this really special thing of, you know what? God actually loves me so much that he would allow these things to happen. And say you with being a mother, like, it's not that you didn't love your child by letting them fall and get back up. It's, mm. it's like, no, no, no. Like you're able to see the bigger picture of what's going on as well. Mm. And in coming full circle and bringing our discussion to a close, Paul, one of his you know famous lines within his writing says that he says that he quotes here what Jesus says that when Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And I think it's really special to remember that, that mm. yeah, we have weaknesses, but in the midst of that, the children of Israel 
us, even in our discipleship today, it's so that we can see God's grace and see his power and strength, yeah, complete us and yeah, be with us through those times as well. So Lindell, are there any kind of closing thoughts that you wanted to share? It just reminded me, and I think this was a quote from the lesson where Ellen White is talking about the Israelites' journey to Rephidim, the water, the place of water, and that there is no water. And I just love, I, I love this quote because, again, it reminds us of the work that God is trying to do in us. Our human nature, our human tendency is to think that I, I'm, I created this or when good things happen, it's because of the work that I've done or it's my own efforts. But she says in reference to the place, the, this Rephidim place where he led the children of Israel, she says, he may choose to lead us there also. He does not always bring us to pleasant places. If he did in our self-sufficiency, we should forget that he is our helper. And I think that's a really beautiful picture of this idea of the children of Israel rocked up in this place. There was no water. They were thirsty. And yet God may lead us to those kind of places as well. But if he didn't, if he only led us to really good, beautiful places, we might start to think and forget that it's all my doing and forget that God is actually, he's the one that does this work in us. He's our helper. He's the one in control and in charge. And I think sometimes the challenges that we face are an opportunity to push back on our selfish desire to want to be in charge and in control and to do everything our own way. But rather, it's an opportunity for God to do a work in us and remind us of you know, our, our dependency on him and how much we need him and how he's so much, he's so willing to provide for us and so willing to be there for us. It's a really beautiful thought. And look, Lindell, that, that brings us to, to the end of our discussion today and for this week as we looked at the birdcage and, and how God's doing something in the midst of where we find ourselves today. And thank you so much for joining us, Lindell, and, and giving insights and perspective that has no doubt encouraged our, our listeners today. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like the conversation, tell your friends. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening right now. Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary is a production of the Sabbath School Department of the North New South Wales Conference. This week's episode was produced by Henrique Felix and Morgan Vincent. That's it. We'll see you next week.